Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian D. McCain. The D standing for? Delaware, according to the envelope that's on the, the table upstairs. I did put Delaware this morning. But it's my paycheck, so I don't mind. You put whatever you want. As long as it's not on the check. So. Right, right. No, I, I was careful with that. So uh, we're excited. We uh, Can we just really quick um, do... Uh, A shout out to everybody who helped um, put on the debate. Uh, We did that earlier this week. I um, am still getting so many compliments. I I can't even believe it. Eh, Not all compliments, but (laughs) it's good when you get complaints from both sides that you probably did something right. Well, I'll just say this because I'm a snarky little brat. The people that don't have compliments, I'm actually complimented by the fact that yeah. they're saying I did a bad job. So um, <laughs> I'm, I was like, yay, that makes um, the world a difference for me. So um, we've, everything is really close. I think what we, um, as we're taping this, we're what, 36 days out, Thirty. Something like that. 38, yeah. 38 days out from um, the election. The uh, ballots are going to go out on, uh, they'll start hitting your boxes around the 19th or 20th of uh, October. So we're getting really, really close to that. And we've been doing um, all of these interviews that we like so much because it's genuine, it's real. Uh, We get to talk about issues. There's no theater here. There's nobody screaming and yelling and hollering in the background. Uh, We get to know who our candidates are. So um, we've got with us today a candidate for the Republicans for uh, Attorney General of Colorado. And uh, he's joined Action 22, and we're thrilled to have him with us. And he's going to talk a little bit. um, John Kellner is going to talk a little bit about the issues that we have been talking about on the show and some of the other things. So we're so happy to have you join us today. Thanks for coming down. It was a little bit of a, on your way down, it was a little bit uh, of rough, uh, you were partway here. Yeah, kind and, of an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit of an adventure as coming to Pueblo always seems to be um, for everybody. So um, we appreciate you coming and, and doing this this morning with us. So yeah, It's you, great to be here, Sarah. Um, we will you let our members um, and our folks down in Southern Colorado, um, everybody who's listening, get to know you a little bit. Will you introduce yourself yeah. and tell us what's going on with you and why you decided to run? Yeah, great. Uh, well, first, let me just say this: I watched the debate uh, the other day. I thought y'all did a great job. I thought the candidates had an opportunity to answer all kinds of questions relevant to not only their platforms that they cared about, but things that are obviously really important to uh, your constituents in Action Twenty Two. So. Count me among those who are not a critic of what you guys put on, all right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you bet. So my name is John Kellner. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I'm a longtime prosecutor. I'm the elected district attorney for the 18th Judicial District. That's Arapo, Douglas, Elbert, and Lincoln counties. And, you know, that matters because it's actually the biggest, most populous judicial district in the state with about 1.1 million people. Wow. we got a big chunk of Aurora, uh, the third largest city in the state, in my district, the part that's in Arapo County. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, uh, both in the Marine Corps as a judge advocate and 
you know, I'm, I'm still in the reserves, actually still uh, serving as lieutenant colonel. Every now and then cut my hair a little shorter and <laughs> squeeze back into my uniform. Um, but, you know, I've been this, uh, in this role of trying to promote public safety for a very long time and, and serving my community and serving my country. And, you know, after I got elected, I found myself at the Capitol way more than I had anticipated and really uh, advocating for pro-public safety policies and laws, supporting our law enforcement and finding many, many times that either not showing up at the Capitol as our current attorney general or, you know, sadly at times on the other side of really consequential bills that have hurt people in our communities, hurt the victims that, you know, come to my office and that we are trying to seek justice for and find him on the other side of many of those uh, debates. Uh, and I said, I got into this race to raise public safety uh, to the forefront of people's minds. I think we've done that. And I mean, there really is no uh, getting around it. Where we are in this state right now is a tragedy. You know, we're number one in the country for auto theft. Can you imagine that the state of Colorado is the capital of the United States for car theft? That's terrible. Mm-hmm. We're also number one for bank robberies. We're number two for the highest rate of increase for fentanyl deaths. And these are increasingly hitting our kids. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I'm running to restore some common sense and to be that fighter for public safety that we need in the attorney general's office. So I got to give you grief. Um, well, I can't because I was in the Air Force. So I was going to say, oh, Marine. So, you know, crans and all yeah, the jokes. But, all the crans, buddy. I got it. But mine was the chair. So I think you got one up on me. <laughs> that. Well, I appreciate that, and you're, you're still currently serving in the Marine Corps Reserves, which is awesome. We do a lot for veterans um, for the Southern Colorado region. From my prior job, um, we're still involved with that, so I appreciate your service. And, um, oh, yeah. thanks for yours. Oh, thank you. Um, like I said, Air Force, so not as... It counts, not buddy, as it counts. <laughs> um, so why did you want to run for this? Like, yeah, you what know, was the catalyst? It was really looking around the landscape and realizing that... You know, we do not have somebody who understands the criminal justice system uh, going to the Capitol and advocating for bills that you're know, really going to harm you know, real people in our communities. And oftentimes, not just harm everybody, but the poorest, most vulnerable among us. So I'll give you a couple examples. I mean, you know, last year, this bill comes across that says we're going to decriminalize the possession of guns by convicted felons like convicted felony car thieves and convicted felony drug dealers. And I was amazed to see that the attorney general, Phil Weiser, was supporting that bill. I was fighting against it. I fought hand in hand. I mean, alongside many great chiefs of police from our state to include uh, the chief of police here in Pueblo saying, look, this is a bad idea. And now every time that somebody's arrested in, in this jurisdiction in Pueblo who is a prior convicted felon that they can't charge anymore, you're seeing it on social media saying, hey, look, as a result of this bill, which puts people at risk in our state, and we can't charge them for this crime anymore. And other things, too. I mean, at a time when we we're number one in the country for car theft, again, which blows your mind, <laughs> the legislature passed a bill and the governor signed it and the attorney general promoted it that made what used to be a felony for stealing a car a misdemeanor. And so it's now a misdemeanor. You're not going to get arrested. You might get a ticket to steal a car that's valued at $2,000 or less. And in my world, where we interact with the people who are impacted by these statewide laws and policies that are contributing to the rise in crime, I've come across people who are single moms. They're trying to get their kids out to daycare to get to an hourly wage-paying job. 
and they come out of their apartment and find their car gone, and it's a misdemeanor offense. And I think that is fundamentally wrong. We've been marching way too far too fast in the wrong direction with people calling it reform, uh, and truly it's hurting people in our communities. And this directly relates to, and we have some statistics here, it's uh, the CBI, Colorado Bureau of Investigations. Um, we tend to use too many acronyms being military and former military. Love it. Uh, anyway, uh, violent crimes, which include aggravated assault, sex crimes and robberies increased by 17% in the past two years. Homicides increased by 47%. And auto theft, again, we talked about was 86% increase. And I believe the FBI also stated that Colorado was the fourth highest in rising crime in the nation over just the period of one year. And you mentioned that this was some of the um, legislature was the at fault at this. I don't mm. want to say fault. Unintended consequences of what they did. Um, would you say that that was the cause of this? And what are some of the solutions as AG that you could propose? That's a big part of it. I mean, look, I, I do believe that our legislators are well-intentioned. I just think they're not well-informed at times and are missing the important voice of the state's chief law enforcement official, the attorney general, coming forward and saying, look, here's some data, here's some facts, here's some things that I would urge you to do. Uh, you know, basically not marching in this pro-offender direction, but let's support victims and communities. And so, yeah, I do think there is quite a bit of um, you know, legislation that's contributed to where we are. And, and you really can't dance around it. We're at a 25-year high in violent crime in this state. And as I mentioned, those fentanyl deaths, uh, 29 kids last school year between the ages of 10 and 18 lost their lives to fentanyl and over 900 Coloradans. And we can trace back a pretty clear line to 2019 when the legislature uh, decriminalized the possession of hard drugs like meth and heroin and cocaine and, yes, fentanyl, and made it a misdemeanor to possess four grams or less. And what that enabled dealers to do is carry around 40 or 50 pills and look like they are ostensibly a user when, in fact, they're peddling poison. It made it a very uh, lucrative place for cartels to do their business. And I'll talk to you about how the attorney general can impact this. Not only showing up at the Capitol and advocating for the people as the people's lawyer, but using the statewide grand jury to tackle uh, these fentanyl traffickers. So just in my district where I've got those four counties, we've got a local grand jury. And over the last few months, we have uh, indicted several dozen Mexican drug cartel people on allegations of fentanyl trafficking. And we're talking about uh, close to 30 individuals uh, seized over 28 firearms and a few hand grenades. And in the first bus, we got over 100,000 fentanyl pills, which at the time seemed like a lot. And it should matter to anybody who listens to this because the DEA estimates that about 40% of those pills have a potentially lethal dose in them. So one pill can kill. But fast forward, you know, we continue to do our work with our local grand jury. We seize another 200,000 fentanyl pills from a group. And a lot of these now are pink in color because they're really trying to market more towards kids. So that's what I'm able to do in my district as a crime fighter who has experience tackling these problems. We need an attorney general who will use the statewide grand jury with the authority to go all across the state to really truly tackle what is a statewide problem. You know, you can't just take out one cell of these traffickers from, let's say, my community. They are connected to other groups, and we need a statewide consistent approach to, frankly, bring them to justice. And this ties into another issue that we hear all the time, and I put them together, but homelessness seems yeah. to be, um, I, I say a problem. So other people say it's not a problem. They use different words, but 
homelessness in Colorado has skyrocketed just over the past four or five years. What role would the AG have in that? Yeah, I think part of the reason why homelessness has gone up so much, I mean, it's obviously there's an aspect of COVID and, and instability that comes with economic uncertainty. There, there's no question there's part of it. But I deal with a lot of people who are victims of crime who are homeless. And oftentimes the perpetrators or alleged perpetrators are also homeless. And so I talk to these folks and really try to understand where are they coming from. And so many of them are struggling with addiction. And I think Colorado's very permissive approach to drugs has created a bit of a magnet for people from all across the country to decide that they want to call Colorado their home, even if they are unhoused. So, you know, statewide laws and policies truly do have an impact on our, our, our society. There's no question. I think it's contributed greatly to the rise in homelessness. And what can the attorney general do? Again, we got to go back to that point of being an advocate. You know, there are programs that work uh, or at least have shown to have greater success than others. You know, I found time and time again, uh, I'll just give you an example. I, I tried this case a couple of years ago. Um, where a guy came to Colorado after committing a double attempt murder in Louisiana. Uh, and we asked him when he got caught, why'd you come here? He said, well, because of the weed. Okay. So he kills a man in Denver. Uh, this might be a family-friendly uh, broadcast, but this is harsh reality. Uh, kills a man in Denver for his marijuana, and then comes to my jurisdiction and kills a young man in uh, my community. Uh, and he really did it for what he described as for the fun of it. All right. So ultimately took him to trial and many of the witnesses in that case were also homeless. And I remember talking to this kid who was struggling with meth addiction. And yeah, I said, look, uh, I can help you. We can get you some clothing for, for court, um, you know, make you feel prepared. Um, and he said, no, no, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to go, my mom will do my laundry and I'll come back. I said, buddy, your mom, lives here and, and you have a place to go call home that's safe he says yeah she won't let me live there anymore because i won't stop using mm-hmm. and so so much of this in my opinion from what i've seen and also data that supports it has to do with um, you know the drug culture in our state so we agree i think um that leg- the legislators are well-intentioned in the beginning but so much of this is as a result of bills and laws that were passed and and it's your job to to sustain those laws that are passed regardless Mm -hmm. so what do you think that the legislators intent was when they started to pull back so much on all of these um all of these crimes and and make them not even criminal really things that we normally say this is really impactful and harmful but we're not it's not a crime anymore yeah yeah Another example of this, another part of a bill that uh, Weiser supported last year was uh, something that lowered the penalties for a repeat offender who, let's say, goes into a store and steals something. Let's say they get caught for a misdemeanor. They steal a couple hundred dollars worth of merchandise. That impacts a small business in a real way, and it makes the people who work in that store feel unsafe. That's unfair to them. So that used to be if that person came back and committed another crime after being told you can't come back here, That would be a felony offense. They're getting arrested. They're seeing a judge. There's going to be some serious consequences. The legislature made that a, not just a misdemeanor offense last year, but a class two misdemeanor, the lowest level misdemeanor offense now. 
And this is, again, something that a bill that my opponent supported and championed throughout the process. And so to the well-intentioned part, when I talk to legislators, as I often do in my role as district attorney, I feel like when you give them hard data and you give them true stories and you're able to educate them about the things we're seeing in the justice system, we are able to change their minds on these issues. So go back to that 2019 bill that decriminalized the possession of fentanyl. You would expect that the state's chief law enforcement official with the bully pulpit and the loudest voice and the biggest ability to impact the trajectory of that horrendous bill would show up at the Capitol and lend his important voice, but he did not. And I think that's because he does not have experience in this realm, you know, dealing with victims and the impacts of crime on our communities. See, I have a different solution. I think anytime a legislature should or is writing a bill that impacts an industry or um, law and order that they should go work at the police department for two weeks or go work in a power plant for two weeks mm-hmm. or go work on a farm for two weeks. Um, so switching topics a little bit um, to something just as serious, uh, a little light, more lighthearted, but not um, the action 22 elephant in the room. So we covered the San Luis Valley and yep. there was the RWR renewable water resources. They, they proposed this plan with Douglas County it was uh, basically buy and dry. Everybody that listens is familiar with it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because this yeah, right now it's dead. It's not moving forward, right. but it's still in people's minds because this is a cycle that seems to come up every five years for that area for the past 30 years. I was just going to say that. I mean, I've been down to uh, the St. Louis Valley many times as a candidate now, and particularly as we support them after their DA resigned, you know, folks from my office are going down there and actually handling cases to try to get them back on their feet and support that community. Uh, but then as a candidate, I get down there, I hear that all the time as well. This is not a new scenario. You know, this is something that really tends to, you know, rear its ugly head every couple years. And there's a couple things about it. I mean, number one, you mentioned that right now it appears to be dead. You know, it looks like Douglas County is not proceeding forward on it at this point. And I think that's the right decision. There are just too many, frankly, hurdles for it to be a realistic possibility. But there's a couple of things you need to talk about. You know, one is the fact that these are property rights, and I am fiercely protective of people's property rights. I'm also fiercely protective that in our system that we have with water court, that if somebody were to sell that property right, there is a process by which you go through to determine whether or not are you injuring other people? Or are you mitigating the harm to other users? This system has worked for us for 100 years, mm-hmm. right? And we need to be you know, cognizant that there, sometimes there's a, desire to move towards a public trust type doctrine. I oppose that. We need to keep going with what we have because it works. So real similar sort of short answer to the RWR proposal is if this thing ever moved forward, I would expect it's going to be in water court for probably forever. And I don't know how you get around the injury to other people in the Valley, but we've got to ensure that people still have um, and strongly protected property rights when it comes to water. And Colorado, traditionally, everybody's been on the same page. It's a bipartisan, you know, there's no sides to the water argument in Colorado. And I know the current attorney general, Weiser, he has water lawyers now in the AG's office, which uh, some of the states don't, that Mm -hmm. we're we're fighting with with water right now. Um, With that being said, the the compact's probably going to be renewed. Negotiated again, sorry. Well, there's calls for it. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's calls for it. And there's certainly, um, 
you know, discussion that's going to be coming to fruition on the sort of drought mm-hmm. resiliency and mitigation plans that's coming up. But, you know, I would oppose any calls to renegotiate the Colorado River Compact. I, I don't think Colorado comes out on top in that process. And so we need to be pushing back strongly and forcefully against any calls to do that mm-hmm. uh, by other states, uh, particularly California with all their yep. representatives. But, you know, let me tell you this. It's not just that that we need to be concerned about. It's federal overreach and control of Colorado's water. You know, this is something that the pendulum has swung back and forth, and it's left so much regulatory uncertainty for people mm-hmm. with the waters of the United States, with the WOTUS rules. It yep. really depends at times on who's sitting in the Oval Office as to what that looks like, creating all kinds of uncertainty for our farmers and ranchers and you know, agricultural producers across our entire state. And one of the big concerns I have is that you know, from reading the briefs that my opponent has put forward to the United States Supreme Court, he favors more um, sort of intrusion by the federal government in how we manage ephemeral streams, you know, intermittent uh, waterways, uh, wetlands, things that you know, we really do need to be cautious about uh, overreach from federal agencies that have not been given that power or authority by um, Congress. Yep. Uh, and I, I'd be very concerned as you see the federal government tell us a few months ago, hey, we want you to cut a couple million acre feet, right? Mm-hmm. And they told everybody, you know, every uh, participant, every member of the compact. And, you know, we need to be pushing back against that to say, no, you do not have the authority to dictate those things to us and have a consistent message uh, when it comes to WOTUS, which is, nope. Keep your hands off our water. We will regulate here. We will ensure we have clean water in our state, but we don't want overreach. Yeah, and I think I'll put on my federal hat for a minute. Um, I think you're going to see the federal government look at the way this election goes, probably not make a move towards it, and then the presidential election. That's going to be the key moment, and there has consistently been a push by the feds, specifically the California legislature. Um, You know, They have more congressmen and congresswomen than the middle states of the United States right now. And I, I think, again, this is why voting is so important and the people that say their vote doesn't count. Well, listen to this, because as we see how these elections go and then this year and then in two years, you're going to see this new kind of federal way of thinking. And you're right. This is um, legislation through rulemaking is basically what it is. And I fought against this for almost 15 years in D.C., and every year it was like, how can we get enough power? And it didn't matter who was in office, a Republican, a Democrat. Um, How can we get in power? How can we take more water from the federal standpoint? And this drought is the perfect opportunity for this to happen. And I think that every state, regardless um, who's in office and what your political views are, every Western state around Colorado, they need to be very aware of what's happening from the DC level and they need all the, the soldiers they can muster to go to DC and push back against this because we need that strong voice in Washington, DC from every elected office in Colorado. Water. I think it's interesting to, when you think about um, the different perspectives. So what a a state um, executive branch office was responsible for, five to 10 years ago 
is not going to, is not the same today and it's not going to be the same in the future. You, if you had been running for office 10 years ago, you wouldn't have been thinking so much about water as being an issue that you were going to have to um, get in the trenches on. But now, but that's the, how it's all changed. So with that, I think, um, yeah. I'd go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I got involved in politics a few years ago for the first time and really just because, um, you know, I've got two little kids, I've got a wife and we're concerned about the direction of our state. But as I, you know, look around the landscape here and you mentioned, Hey, maybe 10 years ago, you wouldn't be talking about water. That's kind of the problem, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that this has always been a problem or at least, you know, a limited resource that is precious for the state of Colorado. And we should always be moving forward with, better and smarter solutions. So things like more water storage projects, sort of bold visions about what are we going to do in those wet years to make sure we're saving something for the inevitable drier years, right? And you can't just kind of wait and say, well, somebody else will solve this problem later. We've got to be forward thinking and people that want leadership positions in our state need to embrace that. And and it's not just on big, bold projects, right? which, of course, is not the attorney general's job, but I'm telling yeah. you my, my thoughts as, as John Kellner, you know, Colorado citizen here. Yeah, you know, we've got to be smart about how we're using technology to measure water as well. You know, and when we're talking about how in the upper basin we account for evaporative loss and the lower basin doesn't, or when they're drawing down from reservoirs in our state to send it downriver, and we're not able to say for certain that it got there and in how much, yes, that's not fair to the people of Colorado. This is a constant leadership problem, and we need smart um, people dedicated to this that understand these issues to help lead our state forward. Not to uh, talk bad about other states, but um, you know some of the data they propose may not be the actual data, and there's no accountability on that that we've found in the past working on this. I'm going to say just um, for the record that I keep track of how often Brian is right and how often he's wrong on things. And um, his, cor- his, his correct, he's correct. Um, it just went up yesterday, actually. So it's now at 92.7% of the time. He's absolutely correct. So let me, um, so, th- I, so th- you've been um, operating really in the pop, a big population center mm-hmm. of our state for the last little bit. What has it felt like to be really in all of these rural communities as you've gone through your campaign this year? Well, I love it. So I grew up on military bases across uh, our great country and overseas as well. And when you grow up in that sort of that lifestyle, my father served on active duty for almost 30 years, right? So my entire your early child, every memory was uh, bouncing around from military base to military base. And as you get out to the more rural areas of our state, not only do you meet amazing people who've got real grit and sort of that Western spirit that everybody loves about Colorado, but it reminds me so much about the people that I grew up with. I mean, people that are really dedicated to their communities and their country. And I love it. It's just been really a fantastic experience. So, okay, now we can do some actual fun questions before Uh we let you go. Um, Bouncing around, being a military brat, or even when you served, uh, what was your favorite base? Oh, gosh. (laughs) All right. I mean, this is easy. Uh, Miramar, which is in San Diego. I was stationed there for a couple years when I was on active duty. Um, Way better than Afghanistan. We're going to throw that out there. (laughs) But uh, as anybody who's been in the military knows, you've got unit PT. So you're getting up in the early morning before the sunrise to go for a run with your Marines. 
And what we did was a little different. We went and did Dawn Patrol. We went surfing. So when you've got an opportunity to do that, uh, it's pretty cool. Least favorite. Ooh, see, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus (laughs) here now. That's uh, that's tough. But uh, and and this is actually maybe a little heavier. But um, I love my time growing up in in North Carolina and Camp Lejeune. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we learned that uh, there's been a lot of water pollution issues um, that really harmed a lot of people. Yes, and that was probably covered up in many ways by some leadership. And my mom is one of those. Uh, She got. Uh, cancer was about 15 years ago. Thankfully caught it early and survived, but you know, at her age and that type of cancer, it really does seem to be linked to it. So we have an obligation, of course, as you can imagine, to make sure that, Hey, for people that are serving, they're being taken care of and that includes their families. And, and with that, the pact our pact act was just, um, passed in Congress and, that deals with a lot of toxic exposure, including um, new criteria for Agent Orange. So any veterans listen to this, make sure to go onto the VA's website. You can sign up saying that you're you intent to file a claim. And this is something that we've been advocating for years to have happen. And it seems that they're starting to recognize it still. Um, tell us where... Um, where we can learn more about you. Yeah, so I'd be happy uh, and honored to have anybody's vote here in November uh, that's watching and listening to this. Um, you can learn more about me and my campaign at johnkellner.com. That's J-O-H-N-K-E-L-L-N-E-R.com. All right. Um, I got to give a disclosure real fast, and then we'll close it up. Um, <clears throat> then I'll mess up that I do every time. <sighs> Action 22 does not support or endorse candidates during an election season. What we do is support our members. So if you are a candidate and running for office, this is your open platform to come on the show and tell us what you're about. Email us at show at action22.org or go to our website and you could click link there and get a hold of me or Sarah or Micah on that. All right, Chad Vorsman, I know you're listening. Um, I'd like to invite you to come on the show and actually answer some questions, if you don't mind doing that, especially since you're not going to be here for our annual meeting. I figure uh, you could come down and answer the, answer all those great questions. Um, and uh, thanks to to you and the ag community for everything um, that you guys do. We, we do appreciate and love you. Um, so we are uh, moving close. I think we're... 22 days. I think today is 22 days from the annual meeting. Yes. 22 days, October 21st and 22nd starts at noon on Friday, ends at noon on Saturday. We're going to have a candidate reception Friday night in which, um, we're not going to let the candidates talk much to the audience, but what we're going to do is allow you to get to know them by mingling with them and kind of like a cocktail mixer. We like authenticity, as you know, so much better than getting up in blah, blah. With yeah. all the noise, so we like to to keep it a little bit um, closer to the vest on that. Um, so we, if you have any questions or you like to participate, we um, tickets are going really fast right now. Um, so go to our website at action twenty two dot org and learn more. Um, or if you again, if you have any questions, let us know at show at action twenty two dot org. Uh, one more thing, I sent out an email, sort of a follow up for the debate last night, and uh, we invited you. I put the questions out that we that we posed to the um, to the candidates and uh, we'd actually really like to hear back from you as to how you would have answered those questions um, if they had been posed to you so you can do that again at show at action 22.org we will see you guys next time thank you thank you
This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.